0: This podcast we're going to talk about capillaries. You should be able to recognize capillaries on histological sections and I hope you'll be able to correlate the structure of the different types of capillaries with hemodynamics of blood flow that you're going to learn about in physiology. Now capillaries, the smallest diameter blood vessels, they allow fluid exchange through their thin walls and in that fluid gases will be exchanged, metabolites will be exchanged and waste products will be exchanged. Here's a figure that absolutely blows my mind. There's something like 50 thousand miles of capillaries in the human body and in this histological image you can see a small artery, a small vein and The numerous capillaries. Capillaries consist of a single layer of endothelial cells plus their basal lamina. They are essentially a tube. The diameter of the capillary is just large enough for a red blood cell to pass. Oftentimes red blood cells must deform or fold over themselves to get through the luminal space of capillaries. Here you can see the endothelial cells that are staining in this preparation. Here's a capillary probably at the dermal-epidermal junction in the skin and a higher magnification. You can see the capillary, capillary lumen, very attenuated portions of endothelial cells. There's perhaps maybe one endothelial cell like this coming around with its cell nucleus like that and then another profile of an endothelial cell here. You can see the basal lamina around the endothelium capillary structure is going to facilitate movement across the wall of the capillaries. So, here's a very high power view, one endothelial cell with the nucleus in the plane of section, here's part of the cytoplasm of another capillary endothelial cell. Notice the large number of pinocytotic vessels, note the high power view of the tight junctions between the two cells, so here, here, this would be a high power view like this. And these vessels are forming structures that are called cavioli. And the caveoli are membrane invaginations that can transiently form, and they'll form with cytoskeletal elements, and they may transiently form and disappear. This is so-called transcytosis, so-called kiss-and-run phenomenon, you might for example imagine that something on this side of the capillary might get to that side of the capillary by these transient channels that form with cavioli. There are several basic types of capillaries to consider. There are continuous capillaries which are just the endothelial cell plus the basal lamina. There are fenestrated capillaries that will have diaphragms or will not have diaphragms and there are discontinuous or sinusoidal capillaries. These are a very large caliper and very irregularly shaped capillary. The continuous capillaries are in muscle, in lungs, and central nervous system And in connective tissue. Fenestrated capillaries may have diaphragms. The fenestra are like cytoplasmic windows. They may be 80 to 100 nanometers wide. Because there are diaphragms, the windows are closed if you want and you find fenestrated capillaries in the viscera and in endocrine glands. There are fenestrated capillaries without diaphragms. Here the windows are open. There is a thickened basal lamina. The only example I know of a fenestrated capillary without diaphragms would be the renal glomerulus and we'll talk about the renal glomerulus in much more detail in later podcasts when we talk about the kidney. And then of course the discontinuous or sinusoidal capillaries. These have large fenestra without diaphragms, their basal lamina is discontinuous. You'll see these sinusoidal capillaries in organs like the liver, the spleen, and in the bone marrow. Let's talk a little bit about the continuous capillaries first. This just shows diagrammatically what a continuous capillary might look like. So here is an endothelial cell with the nucleus present, here's an endothelial cell without the nucleus present, relatively small lumen and then some pericytes that surround the endothelial cells. Pericytes are also known as rougette cells, they're often associated with continuous capillaries and you'll see them associated with post capillary venules. The pericytes surround the capillary with branching processes, they're enclosed by the basal lamina that is continuous with the endothelial cell basal lamina, pericytes are contractile under the influence of nitrous oxide which is produced by the endothelial cells. Pericytes can give rise to both endothelial cells and smooth muscle cells during embryonic development and during angiogenesis. Thus pericytes play an important role in wound healing and in pathogenesis of vascular driven disease. Diseases like diabetic retinopathy or even tumor angiogenesis. The electron micrographs are very nice because they show the tight junctions between the endothelial cells. This micrograph shows an endothelial cell with the nucleus in the plane of section. Note, again, the lumen is small. Now, I'm not going to ask what is the size of the lumen, but oftentimes you can say that the size of the lumen of a capillary is about the size of a red blood cell. And oftentimes you can recognize capillaries in histological sections because you might see a red blood cell in the lumen of one. Here just shows a little bit higher power view of the pericytes around a capillary. Here showing the pericytes by scanning electron microscopy. And here just diagrammatically showing the pericytes associated with capillaries and even with some of these post capillary venules. Let's talk about fenestrated capillaries with diaphragms. Here you can see in the diagram the fenestrate coming through the endothelial cells. Here you can see the electron micrograph. You can clearly see the fenestra or openings, and at a higher power view, you can see the diaphragms that are in these fenestra. The diaphragms are not membranous, they're actually protonaceous material that's derived from the glycocalyx. Here's a nice high-power view of a fenestrated capillary. You can see the diaphragm between the fenestrae, and here you can see the openings of fenestra in the endothelial wall. And this just shows an electron micrographic view of a continuous capillary on the top. the pinocytotic vessels that are forming in the endothelium, here the fenestrated capillary. So you might imagine that the fenestrated capillaries might have a higher permeability than the continuous capillaries. Fenestrated capillaries without diaphragms, here the windows are always open. This is a very low power view of the renal glomerulus. Here you can see these fenestra in the endothelial cells but you don't see diaphragms between them. Here's a higher power view the capillary lumen, the fenestra between profiles of pieces of the endothelial cells, no diaphragms between them, a relatively large basal lamina. We will talk about the glomerular capillary network in much greater detail in later podcasts. Finally, let's talk about discontinuous or sinusoidal capillaries. These capillaries are the very large caliber, they're irregularly shaped. As we said, they're Discontinuous, there are large fenestra, no diaphragms, discontinuous basal lamina, often found in organs like the liver or the spleen or the bone marrow. Here you can see some of the sinusoidal capillaries in the liver. Here you can look at variations in capillary walls, so continuous capillary, fenestrated capillary with diaphragms and the sinusoidal capillaries. Notice the spaces in the endothelial cells in the fenestrated capillaries but there are diaphragms here. Notice the spaces or gaps in the endothelial cells in the sinusoidal capillaries, no diaphragms. So again you might imagine that the fenestrated capillaries may have a greater permeability than the continuous capillaries and that the sinusoidal capillaries may have an even greater permeability than the fenestrated capillaries. And that's indeed what you find and this just cartoon highlights that. So you're looking at, at degree of permeability as you go from continuous capillaries to fenestrated capillaries with diaphragms to sinusoidal capillaries. Permeability increases as you Go towards the sinusoidal capillaries. I'd like to make a couple of comments about atriovenous shunts because that will allow blood to bypass capillaries. These so-called AV shunts can provide a direct route between arteries and veins. You find these AV shunts in the skin of the fingertips, perhaps in the skin of the nose and in the lips. You find these AV shunts very commonly in erectile tissue in the penis and in the clitoris. The arterial of the AV shunt is usually coiled and it has a thick smooth muscle layer. The smooth muscle is richly innervated. Contraction of smooth muscle sends blood to the capillary bed, relaxation of smooth muscle in the AV shunt will send blood to the venule, bypassing the capillary. Uh, these AV shunts are important in thermal regulation, uh, as we said. They are important to allow blood flow into the corpus cavernosa to initiate erectile responses. And then there are structures that are called metarterioles, so-called preferential thoroughfares that also allow blood to pass directly from an artery to a vein. And so, what I want to do is focus on this part of the diagram and you can imagine that if you were to contract smooth muscle in this blood vessel, you might prevent blood from getting into this portion of the capillary bed. On the other hand, if that smooth muscle was dilated, it might be easier for blood to get into that capillary bed. So contraction of smooth muscle in the AV shunts or AV anastomosis or contraction of precapillary sphincters will determine blood flow in the microvascular bed. Here are some of these precapillary sphincters. So again, you might imagine if you contracted the smooth muscle here you'd prevent blood from getting into the capillary bed whereas on the other hand if this smooth muscle in the precapillary sphincter were not contracted, it might be easier for blood to get into the capillary bed. So the AV shunts can allow blood to bypass the capillaries. What we have here would be an arteriole, a venuole, here a metarteriole, and here a capillary beds with these precapillary sphincters, and then also the diagram is showing lymphatic capillaries because you know that a lot of fluid will leach out of the blood vessels into the lymphatic system, into interstitial space actually, and will then be collected by the lymphatic system. When we talk about the lymphatic vessels in a later podcast, you'll appreciate that lymphatic vessels have valves in them just like veins to ensure a unidirectional flow of lymph fluid. Here you can see, for example, a metarteriole would allow direct blood contact from the arteriole to the venule. If these precapillary sphincters were closed down, blood might not get into the capillaries and would therefore pass through the metarteriole. On the other hand, if the smooth muscle in the metarteriole was contracted, you may get more blood going into the capillaries. So blood flow in the terminal vascular bed is regulated by contraction of vascular smooth muscle and or by contraction of the pericytes because pericytes also have contractile ability and remember that the endothelial cells can secrete substances that cause vasoconstriction or vasodilation of the small blood vessels. We will talk about diapedesis in another podcast in the course but you know that white blood cells can get out of the blood circulation. They can diapodesis across the endothelial wall and get into the connective tissue space or they can get into the layers of the blood vessels as well. We'll come to appreciate that the endothelial cells themselves secrete receptors for cell surface markers that are on the white blood cells and again we'll talk about this in a later podcast. And then finally, the retina is a good place to observe small blood vessels. This is a photo of the fundus but in a normal human retina. You can see the fovea here and the optic papilla here and you can see these fine blood vessels. And compare this image to this image with this diabetic retinopathy and tremendous neovascularization of these small blood vessels in a situation with diabetic retinopathy. And here, just a fluorescein angiogram, you can see vessel leakage.